Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back, everybody. There's very few segments that I know that uh, that I could say that everyone will benefit from, but this is one of them. Katie Milkman is about to join us. She's uh, the James G. Uh, Dining Professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, host of uh, Choiceology podcast, and the author of a brand new book called How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Uh, Katie, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for having me. First word I'd like to circle is science. People think it's motivation, it's how you're born with, it's the type of family you have. Have you managed to find out and, and label it? Why did you, or I should say, how have you decided to make this a science? When did you realize there was a science behind it? Well, I was a PhD student studying computer science and business when I discovered the small but growing field of behavioral science, which was studying the ways that people make systematic errors in judgment. And it became clear quickly that there was a real opportunity to capitalize on those insights and actually turn them on their head and use science to help people make better decisions, not just to document that we make mistakes, but to use it for good. And that's that's how I got my start. So you want to see how people change. Now, I, I go back in, in life. There are some people they will say, you know, I want to quit smoking. I decided the next day I'm going to quit smoking. And they do. And I'm thinking to myself, really? They must be strong. And then I see very strong people. I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm going to try to quit. I've been trying to quit forever. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a natural leader. You've done all, had all the success. How could you not quit this? How? What do you mean you want to work out? Why don't you find time to work out? Why are busy people finding time to work out? They have more kids, more things going on, but yet they always seem to work out. And I'm saying, why do those people see become such achievers and others seem to always be frustrated with themselves. What advice can you give people is the first advice headline being that you can change. Yes. But also I would say like with the subheading, it is hard. So don't expect it to be an overnight magical thing that just happens. And so that's why science can help and having actually strategies you're armed with rather than just trying to brute force it is a much better approach. Um, when we just sort of wake up and decide we're going to do something, we generally don't get that far. And that's why, you know, most re- New Year's resolutions fail. So we need techniques, tactics that will make it easier for us to overcome all the natural obstacles that keep us from changing and, and hold us in our old patterns. And before we get into detail, this is the headline. 40% of premature deaths are the result of personal behaviors that we can change from small decisions to daily decisions like eating, drinking, exercise, smoking, sex, and vehicle safety. So it is, uh, our, our due date is within our hands to a degree. To a much larger degree than I ever imagined growing up. That statistic that you just read absolutely boggled my mind and changed the course of my research career when I learned how powerful it would be if we could really figure out what it takes to change. All right, so you uh, let's get started. So people listening right now, they want to lose weight. They want to uh, be a better parent. Uh, they want to, uh, to, to exercise more. Uh, they want to uh, change jobs. How do they begin to change? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, 
the the biggest headline, and this is going to be frustrating, but the biggest headline is it depends. And then I'll give you some actually yep. useful tips. But the it depends is it depends what's holding you back. Is the reason that you haven't changed, that you haven't found the right moment to really say, like, I am 100% all in, I'm ready to jump off this <laughs> cliff and do it? Uh, is it because you find it unpleasant? You don't go to the gym or exercise because you really dislike doing it? Um, or is it because you keep forgetting? You know, is that the reason that you aren't making progress or you don't take your medications or whatever it is that's standing in your way you don't mentor more effectively so depending on what it is the answer really um, varies and I think that's a big mistake that's often made when I work with companies and individuals that are looking to change they all want sort of a shiny off-the-shelf single solution and that they can use for everything and um, when we tailor our strategy to whatever the particular obstacle is, we actually get a lot farther. But I can I can tell you about a few common obstacles and okay. big uh, big wins there. Okay, so <laughs> let me give you my favorite. I think my favorite insight about change um, from the research literature is that so many of us, when we have a goal, we think I just need to find the most effective way to pursue this goal and I will nail it. So to go to a fitness example, which is a common goal, a lot of people around New Year's want to you know, get more yep. fit. They go to the gym and they're like, what's the most efficient workout I can do? I'm going to get on the Stairmaster. That burns the most calories per minute. Um, but a much more effective strategy that very few of us realize will be more effective because we think we're picking what's effective is to find the most fun way to pursue your goal, right? So instead of choosing the Stairmaster, you choose the Zumba class that you really enjoy. And the reason is that we're creatures who are um, really focused on the here and now and the instant gratification we get from our choices. And if something that we're doing, even if it serves some larger long-term goal, if it's not fun in the moment, if we right. are finding it unpleasant, we don't we don't persist. And so finding ways to pursue change that you actually enjoy, whether it's by making your goal social or um, doing something I call temptation bundling, which is linking it with something else fun, like you always watch your favorite TV show while you're exercising and only allow yourself to do that while you're working out. Whatever the strategy is that makes it fun for you, that can be a really big and valuable solution for a lot of goals that are right. just drudgery. Uh, for example, you give the example of fitness. And by the way, we're talking to uh, Katie Milkman. Got a, she's got a book out, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. When it comes to fitness, the worst thing to do is say, I got to work out every day at noon or nine or six or 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. because you need flexibility in your day. And the minute that, de that moment goes by and you don't do it, it's so easy to say, well, that my moment is past. So how do you That's rearrange right. that? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. That's um, We did this huge experiment with Google um, with thousands of their employees trying to figure out how to help them build better gym habits. And we had this really surprising finding. We thought the thing was routine, routine, routine. Let's help people get into a consistent routine the same time every day that they do the thing. And that will build a lasting habit. And we found actually we were totally wrong. Uh, it was so important, actually, that people who built a flexible habit, the ones who, if they, you know, 7 a.m. was their regular time, but they had a fallback plan if they didn't make get to the gym at 7 then they, a.m., then they would go at 5 p.m. after work. Those were the people who built the more robust habits. And it just reinforces how important flexibility is because so much of the time when we're pursuing a goal, whether it's around exercise or meditation yeah. or you know, being a better parent, we, 
we trip up uh, and like the first best plan doesn't work out and we need to be flexible so that we we have a no matter what plan in mind as opposed to an only in the first best set of circumstances plan because uh, we'll just fall on our face if that's the way we approach things. So you use this term too. Uh, success is is more like treating a chronic disease than curing a rash. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice visual, isn't it? Not yet. No, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's a useful metaphor, even if it isn't one that makes your heart sing. Um, when we think about when we think about medicine, right, which is a way of changing the body. When we think about medicine, we understand that some conditions are chronic and so need chronic treatment, right? So a diabetic, a, a doctor wouldn't put them on insulin for a month and take them off of it. And I think we have like the wrong model of change. Uh, if we thought about it more, the way that we think about ailments that are with us our whole lives um, and something, you know, the, the things that are standing in the way, whether it's, it's that it's not super fun to pursue your goals or that we're forgetful or that we have habits and, and tend to fall back on whatever the easiest path is, um, whatever those, if you need to believe in yourself, those things just don't go away. Yep. And so to succeed, we have to keep using the strategies that are working as opposed to thinking it'll be, oh, I'll just really work at this goal for a month and then boom, for the rest of my life, I'll have solved this issue and I'll be a different person. So I think, I think a different mental model is in order. And then doctors sort of have it figured out and we understand that about chronic disease. And so it's, it's a more useful, even if right. kind of a negative metaphor, but it's a useful way to think about it. A lot of people say, for example, let's say I want to be rich. Okay. That's thinking grow rich. And that's similar to Norman Vincent Peale. Um, you know, the power of positive thinking. But if you really want to drill down on it, people say, get to the why, why do you want to be rich? What would you do with that money? What are you willing to sacrifice to get it? And if you have that end goal and the why is strong enough, it happens. If, if you just want to be rich, it's so general, you tend to get off the path. How do you feel about the whys making the difference between who sticks with it and not? It's unquestionably true, and there's decades of research showing that if you have a concrete goal and you appreciate why it matters to you, that's helpful. It's much more helpful than not having a concrete goal or a why, but it's nowhere near enough, um, right? It, those things just will not get you there. You need to, you know, think more like a problem solver, an engineer, a doctor. Um, there is, there's a lot that it takes besides positive thinking to to enact change. And so as soon as you start making the more concrete plans, okay, like, and, and a plan isn't, I am going to do more of X. It is at this time, on this date, under these circumstances, I will take care of X. Uh, and, and here's my fallback plan when that first plan falls through. And here are my social supporters and the people who are going to actually go with me on that journey. And you know what? I'm going to put I'm literally going to put stakes on this. I'm going to put money on the line that I will forfeit if I don't achieve this goal by this date. Those are the kinds of things that more set us up for success than just having a goal and a why. So interesting. So put yourself on a deadline. Uh, Katie, Katie Milkman is here, and thanks so much for joining us. She is uh, talking about her book, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. So this is what I get a lot. I'm just not that motivated. I'm lazy. For one thing, and the minute you say you're lazy, I think you're lost. You can never just say that. You're giving your body the wrong message. But I'm a procrastinator. I'm, I'm lazy. And people don't like the fact that they are, but they're willing to accept it. What if you're not willing to accept it? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, one of the things that I think is really important about change and one of the barriers I, I've written about is um, having the confidence that you can 
achieve it. And so I think, you know, if you if you don't believe in yourself, that does matter. I just talked about power of positive thinking. It's not enough. But but it does matter that you have some belief in yourself. And there's a number of different ways that you can build that confidence. One of my favorite tricks that I wrote about in the book is from um, research by Lauren S. Chris Winkler, a brilliant uh, new faculty member at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, showing that when we actually are asked for advice by other people and right. when we give advice, that actually builds our confidence and our competence. So if we mentor or coach someone else, we normally think we're doing them a favor, and, and we may be, but we're actually helping ourselves because it helps us build our confidence that I've got what it takes. This person's looking to me as a role model. It um, helps us dredge up insights about what might work for us and makes us feel more committed because once we've told someone else to do it, we don't want to feel like a hypocrite who doesn't follow through. So I think that's one tactic, and there's others, but that's one thing that can be useful in thinking about how do you build that motivation and belief in yourself um, and and commitment that will see you through. Katie, so let, let's take a step back. You know, what is success? I mean, people with the, the simple thing, I want to be rich, I want to be famous, uh, and I want to be happy. But everyone has a different value of success. <laughs> you think you start with be happy. I would start with be happy. Personally. And what is that? How do you decide for people to say, what is that? Well, it's a great question. I mean, the, the um, I think the the research doesn't point to like a single goal that we should all agree on, although I think happiness is a pretty good one. Uh, and it really needs to be self-defined what your objectives are and what will make make you feel you've achieved and gotten to where you want to be. And then whatever that goal is, you have to figure out, okay, let's break it down. What are the, what are the obstacles to me being happy? Is it that, uh, you know, we know a lot about what makes people happy. It turns out it's really important to have a great social network and a flourishing, you know, set of relationships. It's really important for you to get enough sleep and to get a lot of exercise and good nutrients. It's good to find meaning at work if you want to be a happy person or meaning in some, if you're not working, meaning in whatever it is that you're doing on a daily basis. If it's taking care of children, if, you know, whatever, whatever role it is that you play, you need to find meaning in it. So those are a bunch of things that, that can become concrete goals and you could start thinking, okay, if I, if I haven't got this, how am I going to set myself up for success to have a, all of those things or, or choose one of them at a time, really, actually. And the research shows if you're making plans and trying to achieve too many goals at a time, that can be demotivating. Right. So ideally sort of bite off one at a time and start becoming a tactician. Make your plan. How are you going to do this concretely on a day-to-day basis? And what kinds of structures and supports do you need to build in Write it. to, to make Write sure it down. you can achieve it? Write it down. Writing it down can be helpful if it's um, if the the act of writing helps you structure your plan correctly. So there's this great research by Peter Golwitzer, an NYU psychologist, showing that when we make plans, we normally are just much too abstract about them. And so we need to be much more concrete and thinking through the, you know, when will I do it? Where will I do it? I, I've mentioned this. Uh, how will I do it? Um, so writing it down can sometimes lead you to do those things. If you write down the, okay, if it's, if it's 3 p.m. on a Thursday, that's when I will go to spin class or I will meditate or I will um, make sure I go grab a coffee with my aunt. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're trying to do, if writing it down helps you make that more concrete plan, then it can be valuable. But, but the act of writing itself, I don't know of research mm-hmm. that shows that is particularly valuable. Well, uh, Katie, just looking around, so you're in the Wharton School of Business. People are motivated, right? The, you go to Google, people are motivated. 
Did you do any reverse forensics on looking around your class and say, what got us here? Because you had to be the best in your class. You had to apply to these Ivy League schools. You got through, you got in, and then you were successful. So did you ever, did you say to yourself, I have a pretty good study group as I look to my left and right? Um, That is not my area of expertise, but I'll say my amazing collaborator and friend, Angela Duckworth, has done incredible work on this topic, um, looking at some of the traits that seem to um, be important to success. And she's done this brilliant work on on the importance of grit and persistence and passion, finding things you're passionate about and persisting on them. Um, What I find actually most interesting when I look at what seems to relate to success uh, less, science, uh, less scientifically, I'm a scientist, but I would make an unscientific statement. When I look at the companies I've worked with and the individuals I've talked to, one of the things that I find most surprising is how, um, how often it's that there's a strategy as opposed to some individual gift. Um, and that I think, you know, we attribute too much of success in general to, uh, to sort of like in, an individual's talents and that they're is a lot to say for being strategic. There's also a lot to say for luck, right? There's a lot to say for your, your um, social circumstances that you're born into. So, so it's this very complex picture. There are many components, but having these wise strategies is really important. For instance, we often think of people in, in our lives who achieve a lot and say, hey, like that person's really self-controlled. That's why they get all those things done. And actually, a lot of the time, what we mistake for self-control is just people who've built good habits, and they're not even resisting temptation. They're just on autopilot, which I think is a really interesting finding. We didn't talk about resisting temptation. Resisting to do those things that'll get you off track while having balance. You say uh, turning temptation and inertia into assets. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mentioned briefly how important it is to make it fun. And that's one of the ways you turn temptation into an asset, right, is by actually trying to link and associate um, joy and pleasure with whatever it is that's that's your goal. Make sure you do it in a way that's fun. When it comes to inertia, that's really really where uh, all the research on habits becomes so interesting. And the power uh, of habit, which I think, you know, there's a number of wonderful books from Charles Duhigg to uh, to James Clears that are really about habit. My book get, gets into it in a chapter, but but goes beyond habit and thinks about a lot of other things. But the basic model on building habits is that what you want to do is create a loop um, where you know you're rewarded for the thing that you want to do. You you have a cue that consistently triggers that action. So you also need to have an elastic habit, as we talked about, where you know you have a fallback plan because rigid habits don't don't work well. We get off track quickly. But if you basically build a, a queue, like a consistent time or place where you mostly do the thing, as long as you have a backup plan, you do it, you give yourself some sort of reward or someone else rewards you, that is really how a habit builds over time and repetition. Uh, and it depends on how frequently you do it, how long it takes to build a habit. There's some research suggesting you can build a habit around something like hand washing in as little as a month. If you're a doctor, for instance, at a hospital, you can build that sort of like hand washing routine. If you're trying to build an exercise habit, it probably takes more like months rather than um, a month. And it, so it really depends. But but that repetition with reward eventually does put these things on autopilot so that essentially your default action, your fallback, the natural thing you do is the thing you want it to be as opposed to whatever's working against you. Very interesting. And a couple other things. Have, have you seen this work for you? 
besides the study and the results? Have it worked for you, for people socially in your life or professionally? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I often talk about the work I do as me search because I was an engineer. I wasn't going to be, you know, I, I, behavioral science was a, an accident for me. And I just got so interested in this opportunity to use the kinds of tactics that you, know, you normally see an engineer use, for instance, to, to problem solve as a way of improving outcomes. So um, actually, as a graduate student, one of the things that I did, which I then studied, was temptation bundling. I would get home at the end of a long day, uh, find it hard to motivate myself to do my work or go to the gym, which I knew I needed to do to stay balanced. Um, all I wanted to do was binge watch TV shows. And then I realized, you know, what if I actually link my entertainment with my exercise? I'm only allowed to enjoy it while I'm at the gym. And suddenly I start craving trips to the gym. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm doing well in my, my exams. And even though I've been struggling in school because I've got total focus at home because I'm not distracted, I already got my, my entertainment fixed. So that was just one tactic that temptation bundling that I that worked for me and then I ended up studying and and showing that hey that this can actually be a really valuable tactic for lots of people um but but yes absolutely I've used it in my life I've seen lots of other people use it and uh those stories are, are part were part of the fun of writing the book was uncovering some of the stories of people who've used these techniques to make major change gotcha and you also wrote a story that's in the economist now or contributed to a story no you wrote it uh, they talked about the need to get a vaccine and how do you nudge yeah. people to do it in a free society if we're trying to get herd immunity and we're stuck at 40 percent, it's not going to happen. What's the best way to approach that with somebody making the decision that they want to make? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, my team actually at the University of Pennsylvania has spent a lot of time thinking about this. We partnered on a, a project with Walmart pharmacies um, and also with two large health systems, Penn Medicine and Geisinger, last fall, seeing this moment coming, we said, let's let's set up the biggest test that's ever been run to understand how do we nudge vaccinations. So not taking away people's power to choose, but encouraging, like sending, we tested different text messages that would encourage people. We tried everything from sort of, you know, beat the neighboring community to donate this to, or dedicate this to a loved one, or do it for the people in your life you care about, um, to a really simple message that turned out to be the most effective. And that was just, uh, we have a vaccine reserved for you or waiting for you. Um, it ha sort of has your name on it. And by uh, conveying that there, there was something already set aside for you that your doctor's office or your pharmacist felt was appropriate for you, I think uh, it did a few things that were powerful. One is um, it conveys sort of a recommendation and a social expectation. Um, it also conveys that there's something, it, it really literally belongs to you already. There's something called the endowment effect where when something belongs to you, you actually value it more. Um, there's also research showing that when we give someone an appointment to get a vaccine, we just say, here's the date and time at a convenient location where you can get it, sort of like saying it's reserved for you. Uh, that increases vaccination rates 36% compared to just letting people schedule the, a vaccine at a convenient time. So I actually think a really simple thing we, we could be and should be doing based on those, those studies is um, giving every American an appointment. You know, they can cancel it, they can reschedule it, but like take out all of the inconvenience and hassle and worry about how do I get online? How do I find it? Which pharmacy has it? And, and make it clear that it's sort of the presumed, um, yeah, good idea. That you'll take it as so opposed that, to what New Jersey's doing. Way. New Jersey says, come down. Uh, if you take a shot in this bar, we'll give you a beer. Uh, you have a different <laughs> approach. 
Uh, but you know, I like yours better. Can work too. I, <laughs> I think we can do all of the above. You Absolutely. Know? You can have some people's default uh, shots, their appointments be scheduled at the bar if that's their favorite hangout rather than the CVS pharmacy. And, so. Katie, normally I look at a book uh, coming out like this and say, perfect for New Year's Eve, but this is New Year's Eve. We're beginning to come out of this pandemic at a great rate. This is a perfect time to say, okay, I'm going to change a few things out. I'm getting back to life. Uh, Katie Milkman wrote it. It's how to change the science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. It's not cheerleading. There's a science behind it. Katie, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really uh, con- fun. Yeah, congratulations on it. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.